welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Your home for the hits. We are live and on the air. Very excited to be here today. Big Tuesday edition of the program. Tuesday, traditionally one of the slower days in the week. You, you wait for the news to happen. You, you go and you dive into the, to the world of soccer news and you hope it's something interesting and something fun and something positive. And then you see that, no, it's not. Of course it's not. It's all negative stuff. It's all real crappy. But we're going to deal with it anyway. We're going to talk about whatever's on your mind today as well. The phone lines will be open later in the show. We are currently working very diligently on several different guest possibilities, but uh, timing with Europe being what it is, the, the talking points of the day being what it is, uh, the preparations for the MLS playoffs being what they are, it is, uh, it, it is possible that th- today will be a call-in special. So, with that in mind, let's dive in to the news of the day. I'm going to start with Jose Mourinho. Yes, the special one. Reports have emerged that Jose Mourinho's representatives have been in contact with both PSG and Inter Milan, his former club, as a contingency plan should the Chelsea boss be sacked. You may have already seen that scuttle that players within the Chelsea dressing room believe that uh, Jose is about to get the sack. Chelsea currently 15th place in the Barclays Premier League with 11 points from 10 matches. Five of those matches have been losses. Mourinho has been charged by the FA for his actions during Chelsea's most recent loss, the 2-1 loss to West Ham at Upton Park. Uh, Chelsea manager Jose Mourinho has been charged with misconduct for his actions towards the match officials at halftime of the Premier League match with West Ham. Uh, for Chelsea's first-team coach, Silvino Loro, has also been charged. Mel- uh, Mourinho was sent to the stands by referee Jonathan Moss during halftime. Uh, apparently... Uh, Jose Mourinho uh, not acting good. Language and behavior. And we saw those those pictures of a very dejected Jose standing there behind uh, fans in the box watching West Ham score the winner, Andy Carroll, with the honors. And it's just unraveling. This is This drama that's playing out at Chelsea right now is fascinating to watch. I don't necessarily wish ill will on Jose. I find him fascinating even if I don't necessarily enjoy his style or think he's a great person all the time. Uh, But this is just ridiculous. The BBC is reporting that famous Scottish club Celtic is exploring the possibility of launching an NASL club. That's right. Uh, North American Soccer League obviously expanding, attempting to add more clubs to their roster. I heard last night on the radio Sirius XMFC with Eric Winalda, Bill Peterson say that their goal is 18 clubs. Uh, I'm not sure when that date is coming, but that they're obviously looking to get bigger, the NASL. They need to get to the West Coast at some point. There are groups perhaps in Chicago and San Francisco and, and maybe a, other, a couple of other places who are looking to put clubs into that league. And maybe Celtic is one of those groups, although the city is not yet identified. Initial talks have already taken place, says the BBC, between reps of the club and the North American Soccer League. And uh, here's the target. 11 teams to 20 teams by 2018 is what the BBC is reporting for the aims of uh, the North American Soccer League. German footballing legend Franz Beckenbauer has admitted he made a quote-unquote mistake in making a payment to FIFA in order to receive a financial grant for the 2006 World Cup. But he insists 
that no votes were bought. Obviously, there's a scandal erupting in Germany. As we speak, the German FA being accused of buying votes in order to secure the hosting rights to the 2006 World Cup. Here's Franz's quote. In order to obtain a financial grant from FIFA, a proposal was accepted from FIFA's financial commission that in hindsight should have been rejected by those involved. For this mistake, I bear responsibility as the president of the then organizing committee. He says there were no votes bought to win the bid for the 2006 World Cup. You've got German officials accusing other German officials of lying in this process. Uh, Niersbach's uh, president, uh, Niersbach, who's the current uh, president um, of the DFD, Theo Zwanziger, who has popped up recently last week, accused Niersbach of lying in denying the existence of a slush fund uh, that was reportedly used to pay off FIFA officials in order to gain votes for the 2006 World Cup. And meanwhile, Bahraini FIFA presidential candidate Sheikh Salman bin Ibrahim Al-Khalifa has lashed out at critics of his human rights record. Several groups have said that he played a role in the 2011 arrest, detaining abuse and torture of local football players during democratic protests in Bahrain. Salman is one of eight candidates for the FIFA presidency currently. Those eight are Prince Ali bin Al-Hussein of Jordan, uh, Sheikh Salman, uh, who I just mentioned, Jerome Champagne, David Nakid of Trinidad and Tobago, uh, Tokyo Sesuale from South Africa, the former um, compatriot of uh, Nelson Mandela, Musa Biliti from Liberia, uh, Gianni Infantino may be in this mix, uh, the UEFA Secretary General and Michelle Platini, uh, uh, UEFA President, obviously there, Chungmong Jun, who has been banned by FIFA's Ethics Committee, uh, intends to run, if possible. Matt, uh, Michelle Platini also under a provisional ban at the moment. So the FIFA presidential election continues to be a big old mess with nobody who seems capable of initiating actual reform. Major League Soccer set a new t- attendance record in 2015. Many new attendance records, as a matter of fact. The league averaged 21,574 fans per match, up 12.8% from last year. Total attendance crested 7 million, 7.3 million to be close to exact. San Jose's move to Avaya Stadium saw their average increase up to uh, 40%. And Seattle set a new record with an average attendance of 44,247. That's an American record. 10 teams, stop, uh, ten teams topped the 20,000 fan average number. Uh, questions here, and, and I, I reference, I'll reference Ken Tomash, who has written on soccer attendance on this, in this country for many years. He's a, a soccer broadcaster. Uh, you can find his blog out there. I, I read it yesterday. Had these numbers and sort of parsed it out. What's the ceiling for MLS attendance? We are re- rapidly reaching the point where there's not going to be any more growth. It's just going to be impossible based on the capacity of the stadiums. Uh, so it, it remains to be seen how much attendance can grow. But we are past the point of wondering whether MLS attendance is going to be healthy. It is healthy. It's fine. Uh, it's it's strong. It's it's growing to the point where now we get to ask about the f- immediate future and whether more growth is possible. Certainly not more growth uh, percentage wise that's going to match recent increases. Uh, but now it's about turning those fans who are going to that to those games, adding on new fans who will then watch on television because television is the key. And here you go: the Chinese Super League is set to sign a one point three billion dollars um, billion dollar media rights deal with uh, a conglomerate called China Media Capital. It's in partnership with several American companies, including Warner Brothers and DreamWorks. Um, this, is, uh, re- this is 
is seen as a hedge that soccer will become a bigger business in China with uh, a new generation into the game and watching uh, watching it on mobile devices. This is an increase. One point three million dollars over uh, three billion dollars. Excuse me. Over five years. Do that math. This is an increase over a previous deal that paid the league. Eight million dollars a year. That is insane growth. Um, whether or not this is sort of legitimate value of the league, or if it's as it says a hedge, and there's um, certainly a, a, a push to increase the value of assets as China media gr- uh, capital tries to, to to position themselves. I don't know. I'm not enough into the financial world to understand that. But clearly, this means the Chinese Super League is going to have a lot more money to spend in the immediate future. What impact that has on the global soccer economy remains to be seen. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, it looks like the phone lines are going to be open for you on a Tuesday. You need to call me. We need to talk. It's Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Facing the crowd You're talking too loud Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Tuesday means, I don't know, what does Tuesday mean? What is Tuesday? Does Tuesday have a character? Monday is the day you're like, "Uh, I don't want to be up. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to do life. I want to go back to my weekend. What, what What is Tuesday's character? And Daniel on Twitter, sorry, dude. I don't know what you're talking about with this. I'm not going down that road. 347, sorry, that's not the right number, 646-832-3909 is the phone number. If you want to call and talk about it, Daniel, I'll do that, but I can't pick out what you're trying to say from your Twitter, and I'm sorry for referencing that, 646-832-3909. We've got, again, we've got a bunch of stuff in the news, but we're also coming out of uh, the decision day events of Sunday and MLS, and obviously the playoffs getting underway tomorrow. I mean, that's how quickly this thing turns. Now we do have a built-in scheduling gap as uh, the United States and every other country in the world will play internationals coming up in November. But it does turn quickly into uh, the knockout round matches. DC United hosting the New England Revolution tomorrow night, and then the big one, uh, well, a big one, obviously, the Seattle Sounders hosting the LA Galaxy. Both of those games are big as they will see a team advance to the conference semifinals. Should DC United win, they will go on to face um, the Columbus Crew. And if if New England wins, they would obviously get uh, the New York Red Bulls in in a, a playoff rematch. Then we have Seattle. If they manage to get past uh, the LA Galaxy, they would take on the Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, and uh, if the, I think that's right. No, that's not right at all, is it? It depends on the other one as well. What am I talking about? See, this is Tuesday. My, if I'm getting this all wrong, then I apologize. All right. Uh, let's see. We got uh, our friend uh, Auntie and uh, Auntie. I never had no. The, where's the vowel in your name? Sorry, that's. I should be better. Auntie in Finland uh, asking about <clears throat> more surprised by Chelsea or Juventus. I mean, I got to go with 
I got to go with Chelsea. I mean, I know Juve's start is bad, but again, Juve turned over their roster. They had a bunch of they, they let go. They let walk a bunch of big characters in that team. Um, you know, there's plenty of talent there, but when you lose Vidal, uh, when, when you lose uh, Andrea Pirlo, when you see Carlos Tevez leave, I mean, that's so much leadership and strength in the middle of that team that I think that there's at least some understanding of why they may take a, a significant step back. By the way, Roma currently in first place uh, in, in Serie A at the, at the moment, I believe. They, they got a win over the, on the weekend over Fiorentina. They are in first place, 20 points from nine matches, uh, two points ahead of Napoli, two points ahead of Fiorentina, two points ahead of Inter, and two points ahead of Lazio. So uh, all four of those teams uh, on 18 points in second place. Meanwhile, Juventus down in 12th, <clears throat> 12, 12 points from, uh, from, uh, from nine matches, three wins, three draws, three losses. Uh, meanwhile, Chelsea, again, 15th place, defending champions. Juve's defending champions, too. But defending champions, no reason to think with the strength of that team, with the attacking talent that they have, with some of... I mean, to, see the, to, to see the regression of some of those players in, in this season on such a short timeline, I think is the most fascinating part, or one of the most fascinating parts, aside from Jose's meltdown, of what's going on at Chelsea. It's, it's almost like they all woke up when the season started and just decided to be bad players. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens. I can't imagine Jose last much longer. I can't. I can't really. I can't. I can't imagine that he lasts much longer. Abramovich is not the guy. I mean, he he's uh, he, he he's Roman Abramovich for a reason. If you know what I'm saying, like he didn't make all of his money because he's a nice guy. That's not how Russian oligarchy works. So I can't imagine he's going to have that job for much longer. Uh, you can keep them coming on Twitter, too, if you guys can't call. It's at uh, Soccer Morning. Hit us up. Thoughts on the Orlando Pride's big Alex Morgan announcement yesterday, plus other NWSL trades. I admit that I'm behind on the other NWSL trades. I, I, I There are some themes to be some sort of, and I'm really just um, um, assessing this from what I've seen on, on Twitter, so I apologize if this isn't nuanced. But there seems to be some general upset about the way some of this stuff has gone down. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But certainly the Orlando Pride making a splash um, with their with their big trade for Alex Morgan is a, a good sign of things to come in Orlando. I mean, what you want when these clubs, when it's, uh, when it's Orlando or Houston or Portland, go into the business of running a top-level women's soccer team is you want, you want a full effort. You want to, them to really push hard to make a mark in in their town. You want them to to treat it as though it is the big time sport it is because too often what has happened with women's soccer is it becomes relegated to a minor league niche and even if the attention level right now demands that it sort of be a minor league niche. Again, I'm going to say this uh, I've said it about uh, about MLS, I'll say it about NASL, certainly say it about NWSL. Fake it until you make it. That's only that that means you have to put on a big league front even if you're trying very difficult, uh, or trying very hard to, uh, to to just get some relevancy in your market or in the general general sports market. I think, you know, again, going for Alex Morgan, bringing her in, uh, is and, and these these other signings, Kaylin Kyle and Sarah Hagen, those that that group is a statement of intent by Orlando and Orlando Pride and 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 the the people running that club that they're going to make. A real go at this. All right. 
Kyle on Twitter for Chelsea. It will come down to the FA Cup tonight and Liverpool. Uh, and if he drops both, he is gone. Hard to see. Uh, but that's, uh, look, that's, the, the, it's, a, it's a results-based business. You know, we, we talk a lot about the dichotomy in, uh, in MLS versus some of the other leagues around the world, clearly where um, teams are, have established characters, established reputations, established expectations. Certainly budgets and salaries and payrolls play a large role in, in what you're supposed to, to achieve going into a season. That means that the leash on a manager like Jose Mourinho is relative, even if it's Jose, even if he's won everywhere he's been, even if he's celebrated as one of the best managers of the modern era, of the, of the last, uh, last decade and a half, this is a guy uh, that, that, that has to win because Chelsea demands it. And so you, you sort of have a different, you know, I'm not making excuses for, for MLS and the way that they run things. I certainly like to see some owners be a little bit more aggressive with, uh, with trying to find new voices and, and coaches who have new ideas who can turn their teams around. Uh, and certainly MLS coaches tend to get a leash that's a little too long when it comes to results. Uh, but the other side of it is is being uh, is is being proactive about firing rather than sort of waiting things out because uh, stability matters. So I mean, you fire a manager not because you have somebody else better lined up, but because he's not he's not winning games. That that's a it's almost essentially you know you're getting punished for for losing. In MLS, typically what happens is coaches hold on to their jobs despite losing partly because of the safety net that is the playoffs and with six teams getting in both in each conference now it does provide a significant safety net uh, but also because I don't think owners have a better idea and and look budgets pay play a part in this too you fire a coach you got to pay a buyout I don't care if it's two hundred fifty thousand dollars or eighty thousand dollars it's still it hits your bottom line and for these clubs they are obviously very attuned to what they're spending and and you know, this is uh, something that needs to improve in MLS. I'm not, I'm not saying that we should have a bunch of coaches fired every year. But I think that certainly holding teams to higher standards is a good thing. Nothing wrong with that. All right, hit us up at Soccer Morning on Twitter. Give me a call, 646-832-3909. I can expand a little bit on these attendance numbers. Because, again, they're all rosy. It's all exciting. I, I sort of got over the attendance question a, a, a couple years back. There were there were years, and I think if you've been around American soccer long enough, you come to the pl- this place that is I have to be extremely in tune with what attendance is because it, it it's obviously a, a sign of of the strength of the league. And if you're backing if you're backing the growth of American soccer, you want to see attendance grow because that's the most outward evidence we have that people are interested. But we are at the point now, we have, we've passed the point where it's a question of the health of the league. And there are always going to be stragglers. For all the success, <clears throat> for all the success we've seen in places like Seattle, um, places like Portland, which is always sold out. Uh, obviously, you know, Avaya Stadium coming on for San Jose has been a big boost. Sporting's always sold out. For all of, uh, for all of that, that positivity that we've seen, um, around around attendance, there's always going to be stragglers. There's always going to be teams that are poorly run. It, it, look, it, it's sort of just the the way the environment works, right? Is there a league in this in this world 
where every single team is run properly, like completely run properly. And even if you consider, even if you imagine, okay, relative to other leagues, yes, there might be one or two where everybody's run fairly, fairly well. I certainly think the perception is that the Bundesliga has 20 teams that are run properly. But if you look within the Bundesliga relative to other teams in the Bundesliga, there are certainly teams that aren't well run as well as the top teams or, or or certain teams in that league. So you have the Colorado's of the world, the Chicago's of the world, and they're, they just, they, they fit a, they fit a role within the hierarchy of MLS. So again, Despite all the positivity around attendance, there's plenty there's plenty to worry about if you really want to get yourself dragged down into that. Now, I'm looking here at these numbers. Uh Seattle 43,000, uh Orlando 32. That's going to change. They're going to go into a smaller venue. Uh NYCFC 29,000. If they can keep that up in year 2, that's that's obviously uh a, a great sign for their future. They still got to get a stadium. And they're not going to they're going to be playing not going to be playing in a fifty thousand seat venue in the future if they get their stadium built. So that would come down. Toronto twenty three four twenty three four. That's that's pretty good. They've added seats. Uh, they could potentially see some growth. The Galaxy average twenty three three. That's a twenty seven thousand twenty seven thousand seat venue. Portland at twenty one. San Jose at twenty. Houston at twenty. Vancouver at twenty. Salt Lake City at twenty. Those are all positive signs. I, I I'm a little. You have again. You have to take some of this stuff with a grain of salt, because we do, uh, we do obviously, we do obviously question sometimes whether the reported attendance matches the number of people in the stadium, and very rarely does it. Uh, the 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 standard within the sports industry in the United States is to report tickets sold, not necessarily butts in the seat. That's um. That's um, that's just the, the way of the world. Again, you can you can be you can be cynical about these numbers, but they at least represent some positive. All right, let me go back to Twitter. Auntie says, "Will either will either Frank Yallop or Frank Klopas, will either Frank get an MLS job ever again?" I don't think so. I don't think so. Um. Uh, you could imagine that that if you need a stopgap manager or stopgap coach for a year or two, they might get an opportunity. But I just I don't think that that's. I, I think we. I want to hope that we move past. And, and this isn't to say I, I want these guys to be jobless. They're both good coaches in 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 their certain ways. But this may be a situation where the league has moved past them. James on Twitter, James Master one hundred two. Do you think MLS teams could compete in the English Championship? I think they are on par with them at the least. <sighs> uh, James, I, I, I'm, I'm tempted to just reject this question. And, and it's not because, uh, it's nothing against you. But I don't like the attempts to force comparison between two leagues that are very dissimilar. And there's too many differences between the championship and MLS to consider whether an MLS team could compete in the championship. I don't, for one thing, I don't know what an MLS team that is only has to travel via train and bus and maybe short plane uh, plane rides looks like I, I i've never seen we've never seen that before we don't know what an mls team without that travel looks like we don't know what a, uh, we don't know if an mls team has the roster depth to compete in the championship 
Meaning, yes, the first 11 of certain teams could probably do very well if you put them in plastic and they were never injured and never fatigued. But that's not how that's not going to happen. It's clearly a situation where you have to consider how many games, how many games the championship play? Is it 46? They play an insane amount of games, right? So you have uh, you have difficult seasons in different regards. The the long marathon that is the championship, the the travel and and the various elements that come with being part part of a North American league. These these things make it almost impossible to compare. If you picked up the entire championship and dropped it in the United States and put one MLS team in it, what does it look like? I think it probably looks a lot like MLS, but I have no idea. If you picked up one American team and dropped it in the championship in England, I, I think they probably could compete, but I have no idea. I have no idea. In terms of the quality of the soccer, MLS, part of MLS's problem is that it varies wildly. There are some... There are... There are some... Uh, there are some games that are played at a very high level. There are some games that are played at a very poor level. And the again, those variables come into play. So it, I, don't, I don't like the monolithic look at, a, at MLS quality like you can just put one value on that. It's the same with the championship. I mean, let's, let's be fair to the championship as well. The top teams in the championship spending significant, um, a significant amount of money are, are good teams, are very good teams who could probably compete in a lot of first divisions around the world. At the bottom end, they're not quite as good. Same goes to, for MLS, although parity means it's, it's more difficult because we don't have teams that set themselves apart. So it's, less, it, it's, it's, less di- sorry, it's more difficult to identify who the best team in MLS is and whether or not they could go compete in the championship. That's a long-winded answer, James. I hope I got to something that added to that. John Denham says, The difference in tickets sold versus in-seat numbers is faking it until you make <clears throat> faking it until you make it and people see through it feels disingenuous. Again, it's the standard. I mean, it's just, it's a sta- are we going to uh, we're, we're okay, so we're asking MLS to be better than the rest of American sports? I I don't know, are we? Does MLS have some sort of responsibility to go above what the, is the traditional American standard? John, I I don't know. I I don't I don't think it feels disingenuous at all. And and certainly even if you don't buy those numbers 100%, you can see the full houses in places like Portland and Sporting, uh Portland and Portland and Sporting Park and and Seattle and um I mean there there are teams in this league that are doing very well from a tennis perspective to the point where who cares what the number is. It is sort of my point. Like whether that number is nineteen thousand eight hundred and fifty or seventeen thousand two hundred and sixty-two that are actually in the building, I don't care. I, I I realize that when you have a reported attendance of twenty thousand and it looks like there's eight thousand people in the building, that bothers people. But I don't, I don't really see the I don't really see the problem. The problem, the only the the only reason this is a problem is because again, MLS is that trouble converting this interest. If it exists, if you believe in it, into television numbers, which can p- continues to drag the league down, because while ninety million dollars a year is great for, in relative terms to previous deals, it's nothing. Ultimately, uh, in the course, uh, you know, in the big picture of, of sports, especially around the globe, especially competing with other soccer leagues, 
in order to go out and get the better talent so that you can improve the quality so that more people will watch, which is definitely something MLS needs to work on. And, and in just in terms of a fairness situation, MLS needs to figure out a way to bring salaries to the point where there's at least some sort of, not parity, you know you're going to have to pay somebody like Sebastian Davinko $6 million to come here. Same thing with Clint Dempsey and Andrea Pirlo. But you need to rise, you need to raise the level of those mid-range salaries to create a deeper a deeper team for these MLS clubs. And I'll I'll segue back to the the news I had this morning that the Chinese Super League is set to sign a deal worth 1.3 billion dollars for the next five years for their media rights. Uh, this is what's interesting is that this these reports are coming out of Hollywood media outlets. That's sort is that. I mean, that's because they're connected to Warner Brothers and DreamWorks, I guess, but it's a very odd place for this to be big news. But there you go. This one's from Variety. Leading Chinese private equity fund, China Media Capital, is poised to snap up a long-term deal for the rights to the Chinese Super League, the country's main soccer championship. The company, which, with, uh, which recently partnered with Warner Brothers to launch a Chinese-language film production venture, is expected to pay close to $1.25 billion for rights over a five-year period. Chairman uh, Li Rijang, Rijang uh, revealed an outline of the deal Tuesday while speaking at the Cable and Satellite Broadcasting Association of Asia's convention in Hong Kong. It is a really high price, but we are really looking for something that changes behavior. I mean, this is th- that's the funny thing about this. This is very speculative on the, po- on the part of this group. Essentially, what they're buying into is the notion that Young Chinese sports fans, young Chinese people are going to flock to soccer in big numbers. And again, this is a multimedia. This isn't just television, but it's a multimedia deal. So they're getting the rights to everything, including pumping out all that content content that ends up on your phone. So this is, again, this is a hedge against a a future change in in the market where... So basically arguing that Chinese Super League football is going to be a big deal. MLS has had to deal with a different market in which the NFL is king. Major League Baseball, NBA, scoop up a lot of media money, a lot of dollars. College sports is huge. SEC, Pac-12, Big Ten, all of that. The, the rights to the playoff, eating up a lot of dollars. You have college basketball, which billions, brings in billions. I mean, the, 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 the difference here between China and the United States, or China and North America, if you want to make it a bigger picture, is that the pie, the portion of the pie that MLS can grab is much smaller than what's available in, in China, at least right now, with a, a, v, a venture media capital company dumping cash into soccer. Well, I don't know enough about Chinese culture to sit here and say that there's nothing else to fill that void, but it doesn't seem like there's a major sport that has the same role as the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball. There's a lot of money in sports in the United States, and MLS is getting its share of it the, the best they can. But it's going to be a problem for the league moving forward, is that the the industry is very crowded. How does that, how does, and, and because things like this Chinese Super League deal are happening, it's going to tilt the balance, certainly of player acquisition. 
We've already seen a couple of teams in China dump a bunch of money on some big name, big, big name players. I mean, Didier Drogba played in China. If you don't remember that, he did. He played in China. Nicholas Anelka was in China. Uh, there's a couple, a couple other players, big name players who were who in China. Not a lot. Not MLS level. But some. You don't think that $250 million a year, whatever this is, is going to change the dynamic of what the Chinese Super League spends on foreign players? Gonna make it di- and it's not, it might not even be those big name players. It might not even be the Didier Drogba's of the world that MLS needs to worry about. It's going to be those guys who are right now are on $200,000 contracts in MLS. $300,000 contracts in MLS. The, the South American players who make up the backbone of MLS quality in a lot of ways. Now there's a new player for those players. New com- competitor for those players. All right. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, J- uh, fake, da- fake JP. Fake JPD. My man, what, which part of decision day did you enjoy the most? The, the end of the, I mean, the last 20 minutes of both windows brought some fire. That's what, that's what I enjoyed the most. Trying to keep track. Okay, this goal changes this thing, puts this team in this spot. Oh, wait, here's another goal. Let's, we have to, we have to re, okay, now, now this team's in this spot and, th- and matchups as sort of following along with what was happening seeing how it was changing the, changing the table and the seating in real time. Now, again, I'm certainly aware of the argument, and I've made it myself. There wasn't a lot on the table on decision day. That the fact that there weren't a lot of playoff spots available, that there were only two teams mathematically alive who were below the red line, in each com- one in each conference, means that the stakes were not ultimately as high as they could have been. But there were certainly things on the table, and because of the way MLS has structured their playoffs now, which is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, the value in getting a buy or the value in getting a home game in the knockout round is pretty high. Look at, look at a team like the LA Galaxy, already locked up a playoff spot. They knew they were going to be in the field before decision day arrived. But they also, then they also knew that it was very possible that they could see them slip, themselves slip down into five or six and end up having to go on the road. Sorry, four... Uh, yeah, four, that's right, five or six, right? F- spots five and six of the road, of the road teams. Uh, see themselves slip down into five or six and have to go on the road where they've been terrible all year. And I think that, that created some stakes for L.A. Now, again, they're in the playoffs. They're going to face Seattle tomorrow night. But they certainly would rather be at home. And they can't feel good about where they, sit, where they stand in terms of form and having to go play on the turf in front of that crowd in Seattle. Matt on Twitter, ratings, TV ratings go up when teams build fan bases outside of home markets. Ticket demand outstrips supply. Few track local TV. There's nothing, there's no, nothing to argue about there with Matt. Because the, this is why MLS is aggressively, uh, is aggressively approaching expansion. It's certainly why MLS decided that they were going to put a team in Atlanta. Even though that's not a perfect situation. You have a great owner, at least a big name big money owner whether or not he's going to be a good owner that remains to be seen but he's done everything right so far Arthur Blank the the reason MLS decided to open up that southern market the reason MLS decided to go to Minnesota and uh, scoop up Minnesota United FC is because they're looking to improve their reach in the American soccer television market because that's what's that's a part of the strategy that will grow 
the league's television ratings. And as Matt says, you have to be, <clears throat> you either have to have a league with national appeal for reasons that go beyond just who wins and who loses. And, and for the NFL, I mean, the, the NFL has created this gladiatorial arena situation, built up its lore, fo- found a way to improve the, uh, the entertainment value of its game consistently while also riding squarely on the back of fantasy and gambling. Does anybody disagree with, with that? I mean, they have played up the notion that Americans like violence. And, hey, here's a violent game. It feeds right into our national character. Okay. They've also, again, the the boom of fantasy football and the boom of gambling, which is happening all over the place, whether you're aware of it or not, or whether it's legal or not, has allowed the NFL to become a national league with national interest. Baseball is a local sport. Except for the playoffs, baseball is a local sport. I'm sure that the TOE ratings for... Sunday Night Baseball and ESPN are way better than MLS ratings, but but in relative terms, that's a local sport. People are tracking their local team. They're not necessarily watching the game of the week every week. They don't care about if, if you're a, unless it's a divisional opponent, you don't really care. If you're a Royals fan, do you care about the Braves playing the Pirates on Sunday night? No, probably not. But there's also a lot of history in that game. You have a, a, a lot of inventory, as they like to say. 81 home games per team, 162 games a year. Thousands of games to broadcast fills those those uh, fills those gaps and and the value of sports television right now is based a lot on the fact that you have to watch it live that it it, it is DVR proof or as close to DVR proof as you're going to get you watch the game you watch it live you see the commercials that still has value to advertisers now MLS has yet to reach a point where it's got a national profile, not that one that, that requires people to watch the game of the week because they're interested, because they have a fantasy interest, because they have a gambling interest. And, and it's difficult for a league like MLS or any American league trying to break into the established big four because how do you, in, in, you know, we live in a very puritanical country when it comes to this stuff, how do you actively promote gambling? You, you you don't. That's not something we do. Um, that's you, you can't really push that through your official channels. It might be a wink, wink, nod, nod situation, but there's no there's nobody with a campaign to make gambling on soccer a bigger uh, bigger thing in the United States. Not a not an official one anyway. And fantasy, I don't I don't just don't believe that soccer is built for fantasy. That's that's part of that problem. Now maybe one day it becomes a much bigger thing just based on the relative popularity of soccer, which is growing. But it doesn't have a fantasy footprint. So we ha- what is MLS's goal then? Well, let's make the league as entertaining as possible so that people want to watch games that don't involve their local teams. Well, how do we do that? Well, big stars. Big stars is one. Parody is another. That's builds right, It goes right into the notion that MLS is trying to make MLS as attractive as possible to out-of-market fans. Now, are they succeeding? Based on the television ratings, it's hard to argue they are. But you also have to give a certain amount of leeway on that front. It's, it's, It's a fascinating picture, really, right now. I mean, it is. Let's go to Robert on Twitter. Sunny SoCal Rob 25. With Copa America now coming, will NFL stadiums be 
I don't know. Gather equal to or less than the MLS stadiums used for matches. I don't, I'm not sure what that means, Robert. You might have to rephrase that one. Will they be what? Copa America coming. Yeah. Uh, Alex, Bristol City Alex. American living in the UK has become a trend here for kids who didn't make it to pro, so- to pro for pro. Blah, make it pro to go leave for U.S. college soccer. Uh, Alex, that's uh, a good topic. Um, I don't know if it was a recent story. I was scanning something about Dom Dwyer. Uh, I think it was maybe at the Telegraph. He's obviously a big um, example of this. Uh, was in several youth systems. Had a couple of injuries. Ultimately ended up at a tryout for American college coaches. Got himself a, a scholarship to a junior college in Texas. Before moving on to... Where did he go? South Florida. And then getting drafted by Sporting Kansas City, obviously. He was with he was with Norwich for six years before injuries basically pushed him out. He ended up with a couple of very small teams in England before moving over to the States. I I, I don't know what to to say about this, Alex, other than it, you know, it it's fine. I mean, ultimately colleges give their scholarships to kids who they think bring value to their schools. And if that happens to be in a soccer environment and the kids are interested in coming here and learning and then perhaps becoming professional soccer players one day, so be it. I mean, so be it. I had a guy call me on soccer morning on Sirius XM the other day. He made the argument that American soccer scholarships should go to American soccer players and that these schools were doing a disservice to American soccer by giving their scholarship to international players. I, I don't I, I don't buy that. I don't I don't see the I don't see the problem. Uh, if the kid makes an impression if there's a if there's an inherent bias and it says it, it, it says something about the way coaches view players and that they're not giving American players a chance. Okay, I, that's an incredibly difficult thing to prove, and I'm not going to lob out accusations without some sort of proof. I do think that there are other avenues that American soccer needs to explore, is exploring in order to give its kids a chance to develop into soccer players. Then again... If a kid's if a kid plays soccer that's his chosen sport, can't afford to go to school, can't afford tuition, needs a scholarship to go get a good education. It'd be nice if he got that opportunity. It would be nice if that kid got that opportunity. I I, I don't, again I don't know that there's I don't know that there are American are there American kids missing out because Dom Dwyer's coming here because American college scouts are going to England and picking up players who didn't make it as professionals coming through the youth ranks of their local clubs. I I don't know. We should probably dive into this with maybe somebody like Charlie Bohm or Travis Clark or Will Parchman, guys who actively watch the college soccer game week in and week out when it's on, understand the environment. I, I you know, I like Steve Zakawani. I like Dom Dwyer. Uh there's there's other guys out there. I, I'm trying to think. I mean, there are guys who came over here to go to college and ultimately eventually became internationals for their schools. I mean, obviously Jamaica has a 
We have a tradition of bringing up Jamaican players who then play in American colleges and then go on to be professionals and represent Jamaica. That's I think that's a good thing. I think there's something about opportunity there and the American ethos that that feeds, and I'm I'm okay with that. Matt on Twitter, uh, back to Matt. Matt K Dubs, and let's not pretend Nielsen ratings is a perfect way to measure TV audiences. That tech needs to improve too for better numbers. Not an expert, have no idea. Where do things? Are people still filling out their their logs or whatever they're called, their journals? Tonight, I watched a rerun of Two and a Half Men. Beep. No, I don't. I don't know. Is that what's happening, or do we have boxes that are tracking them now? It seems that if they really wanted to, I mean, wouldn't you think the technology is at the point now where you can physically count, not physically, but through technology count every single television in the country? Or is that like an invasion of privacy on some level? Do you, need, you have to opt in, right? I think that, that, I think that Nielsen ratings are not a perfect way to measure TV audiences, but I have no idea what the alternative is, and this is the standard, okay? So... Even if you don't buy the Nielsen numbers, they're at least, again, in a relative way, accurate to the point that they're comparing like audiences, right? That's the the, the samples are like for like, but maybe there's a bias in the system uh, uh, towards older people, uh, towards uh, certainly towards middle class, towards various uh, socioeconomic areas. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's some biases there. Let's go with uh, Scott. What do you think? What did you think the top three narratives of the MLS season would be at the start of the year? And what are the top three now? Well, that's off the top of my head. That's really tough. <clears throat> uh, top three: expansion success. Whether or not NYCFC or Orlando were going to make the playoffs. I think that definitely has to be up there. Um, Toronto's experiment. I mean, that that's about the playoffs, but also Sebastian Javinko arriving. I think that has to be up there as well. The the other narrative was already was already in play. Well, the New York City narrative was already in play. That's uh, Frank Lampard, and Willie won't he? Okay, he's staying on loan. This is weird. What are we doing here? Trevor, you got any other MLS narratives to throw in that mix? I'm trying to. Trying to think here what else would be on the top of the preseason MLS narrative list. Maybe whether or not L.A. would repeat. Something to that effect. Um, you had, you know, you had Seattle. Was this their window closing? Uh, that may have been in play a little bit. Um, beyond that, I mean, I, I don't know that anything jumps out as overarching narratives. But in terms of what they're what they are now, wow! Uh, I think probably the Red Bulls succeeding on the smallest budget in the league, winning the Supporter Shield, being the first seed in the Eastern Conference. That's that's the that's one of the big narratives. Uh, doing it without any big name DP players. Uh, they have DPs, just not not Thierry Henry, not Tim Cahill. Uh, I would say Didier Drogba and the res- the the surge of of the Montreal Impact is. Definitely a top three narrative, and uh, and you know the 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 strength of the West. I'll say it without identifying one team, although this is obviously partly about whether or not LA can figure out a way to navigate a difficult playoff. But the strength of the West, FC Dallas, 
young, exciting. Vancouver, young, fast, exciting. Portland Timbers, suddenly now you can score goals. Darling Nagby is looking good. Um, they're, they're up and down season. They're, they're certainly their philosophically fascinating season. L.A., again, I already mentioned that, whether or not Gerard's going to be effective. But uh, the defending champs, you don't want to necessarily doubt them yet. And Sporting Kansas City, just a, a team that chugs along and has a, a player in Benny Failhaber who probably should get called to the national team. That's, there's my narratives. New York success, Drogba, and the West strength, top to bottom. 646-832-3909. That's your phone number on a Tuesday. We've been all over the place so far. Been up and down. Should we talk about the FIFA presidential race? Should, sorry, I'm falling asleep. Should we, should we talk about the FIFA presidential race? Do you guys want to know about all of these candidates? These thrilling, exciting, passion-inducing candidates. None of them, right? None of them. Prince Ali bin al-Hussein. Sheikh Salman bin Ibrahim al-Khalifa. Jerome Champagne. David Nakid. Tokyo Sheshwale. Musa Biliti. Gianni Infantino. Michelle Platini. Chung Man Jun. Anybody excited? Does anybody believe that this is where we see FIFA reform start? with one of these eight individuals? I don't think so. We've got two royals in this mix. I mean, I'm not saying you should eliminate royals from consideration running something like world football, but doesn't that speak to how inaccessible this stuff is now? How far above, how, how, how detached FIFA is? from the grassroots of the game that we've got two royal, and really they're the best, I mean, they're the top candidates right now. Prince Ali from Jordan. By all accounts, a reasonably decent guy, but again, detachment. He's not tainted by corruption, but he said, I do believe that anything that has happened within FIFA was known within the leadership of FIFA. He was on the executive committee. He was involved. I mean, he was involved at least as a bystander. Sheikh Salman, who I already talked about this morning. Part of the Bahraini royal family. President of the Asian Asian Football Confederation. Tainted by human rights allegations. Charges that his family, the Bahraini uh, ruling family, tortured and imprisoned pro-democracy protesters, including several soccer players. He's denied it. You weren't there? Jerome Champagne, just a part of the machine. Former FIFA official. Is he inside? Is he outside? Okay. No corruption. But just a guy. Seemed to be. (coughs) Excuse me. Seemed to be a patsy the last time around. Seemed to be the guy who was there just to fall to bladder. To push to, to push out some of the competition. David Nakid. I'm, I'm going to go with Nakid. If I'm wrong about that, somebody correct me. 
Former captain of Trinidad and Tobago. Educated at the University of Washington. Played in Switzerland, Belgium, Greece, Lebanon, the UAE, Sweden, and Major League Soccer. Not, not No corruption involved. Maybe he's the best candidate, but again, not exactly a big name stepping up to, to make a difference. Tokyo. I'm just going to go with Tokyo. Apparently he got that name because he did karate as a kid. Who knew? And a guy who was part of the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa, so that's obviously a strong, uh, a strong thing in his favor. Jailed uh, on Robben Island as a political prisoner for more than a decade. He was a member of the bid team and organizing committee for the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. There was a $10 million payment that went to Jack Warner. Eh, whatever, right? Okay. President of Iberia Soccer Association, Musabiliti. He was banned by the by uh, by the Confederation of African Football for six months in 2013 for improper handling of confidential documents. Documents tainted. Johnny Infantino, the guy that plucks the balls out of the bowls for or t- directs people to pick puck the balls out of the the bowls for the UEFA Champions League. That guy, the bald guy, you know him. Platini's right hand man. Does that make him appealing? Then we have Platini. Then we have Chung Mong Jun, who likes to lob bombs, but isn't exactly clean himself. All right. Troubling times. Not fun. Blow the thing up. I mean, I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means for the World Cup. I don't even know what it means for FIFA tournaments and the FIFA programs. But blow it up. Start from scratch. Bring in a completely in, uh, uh, independent body. You know what? Paulo is reminding me. I, I forgot. I blocked this out, Paulo. The three narratives ahead of the season were CBA, CBA, and CBA. Yes, you're right. You're 100% right. And we didn't make enough progress. And here we are at the back end of an MLS season heading into the playoffs, and we have not talked all year long about the fact that the players did not make enough progress, not make, they didn't make enough headway in those CBA negotiations. Right? Does anybody disagree with that statement? Or if you want to look at it the other way, put the onus on the owners, the owners did not give up enough. The owners did not allow the players to get enough progress so that the league moves forward. I haven't even thought. Since that deal came down, I have had not one thought about that free agency plan. And I, there's probably some players who are going to qualify after the year, but what, how many are we talking about here? It's like 8 and 28. Is that right? 28 and 8? He'd be 28 years old, have eight years of service with one MLS team to even be eligible. That's insane. Somebody out there right now at some SB Nation blog is writing up a list of MLS free agents, and good for them. And I will use that on this program. That will be my go-to for information on the MLS free agency market, whatever the heck that means. Uh, getting ready to wrap up this edition on a Tuesday. It's just one of those days, guys. Thanks for all the tweets. You guys have helped out a lot. Uh, by the way, if you don't follow me on Twitter, it's DavisJSN. I have shared a wonderful video of a deer scoring a goal. 
which you should ha- you absolutely have to watch. Best striker in the player pool. Wonderful, wonderful speed, good touch, good finishing. Bounding across the field, puts the ball right in the net. Fantastic, fantastic stuff from that deer. If you were putting together a soccer team made of animals, well, you would definitely give a deer a spot, right? I think you would. All right, uh, make sure that you're following us on Twitter at Soccer Morning. In addition to Davis JSN, check out Backheel.com. Lots of cool stuff happening over there. Seeing red, open wide for some soccer, uh, corner of the galaxy, good podcasting happening. The future of American soccer is Backheel.com or something. What's our slogan? We have a slogan? We like soccer. Podcasts. Just soccer it. Put your foot into some soccer. Enjoy, enjoy your your soccer. Re, yeah, soccerito. <laughs> oh, man. Good stuff. All right. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, sorry for the lack of guest. Spark up that sock. No, that sounds. I'll get. Okay. Whatever. Wednesday, tomorrow. Playoff starts on Wednesday in MLS. Certainly a lot of European soccer to talk about as well. We'll talk to you then. See ya. Bye. Did my invitations disappear? What I put my heart on every curse?